You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 16, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Liza Kindred, the founder of Mindful Technology and a seasoned designer in both fashion and wearable technologies. Liza is also a meditation teacher and Reiki practitioner and has had a front row seat to the realities of how drastic the difference is between how we want our lives to be shaped and the kinds of technologies that we actually build and use. Liza has worked with some of the top companies in fashion and technology, including Vogue magazine, Bergdorf Goodman, Time Incorporated, Microsoft, Cisco, and Amazon. She's been quoted or featured in publications including the New York Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, Fast Company, and Wall Street Market Watch. We're extremely pleased to welcome Liza Kindred to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In today's podcast, I'll be interviewing Liza Kindred, who's worked in the fashion and wearable technologies world for many years. So I thought it'd be worthwhile talking a little bit about wearable technology, like the Apple Watch or other kinds of internet-connected watches, Fitbits, uh, the whole world of the quantified self and how it relates to mindfulness. The trend certainly over the years, the decades since I've been using computers, if you think back to the 50s and the 60s, mainframes you know, took up an entire room or floor of a building down to what was called uh, mini computers and then micro and personal computers small enough to fit on a desk, laptops small enough to carry around, then smartphones, cell phones, then smartphones, which you could carry on you and pull up out of your pocket at any time or have in your hand and be constantly connected to the internet. And now we're in the world of yet even smaller devices like the Apple Watch and other internet-connected watches, which are even more easily available to use. You just have to pull your hand up to look at it, uh, not even take something out of your pocket. Now, whether or not these devices are worthwhile to have or buy to use is a totally separate issue, which you know, I think is up to each individual person. From a mindfulness perspective, I would just suggest bringing some mindfulness to that decision of if you've got a smartphone, you know, do you really need a smartwatch? And to apply some mindfulness to that decision. You know, is this, is this something I really need? And if you decide you want to try something that's wearable and connected to the internet, to then apply some mindfulness to how and when you use it. For example, if you've got an internet-connected watch, do you need to be wearing it all the time? Could you apply some mindfulness to when you're going to put it on, when you're not going to put it on? And in particular, if you're going to have it, do you need to then have your smartphone on or your laptop or your tablet or your desktop computer and perhaps in view all simultaneously? And to what extent will having all those devices right in front of you or nearby and available to alert you with notifications simultaneously, to what extent might that impede your mindfulness or ability to be focused or present? 
creative, productive, efficient, whatever your goals or intentions are. And it often doesn't take too much time to give some conscious, attentive thought to that question and decide, oh, you know what, I'm going to take that watch off or turn it off for now. I'm just going to focus on using one device for the next hour or no devices or just these two because they are most aligned with what I want or need to do right now. It's, of course, very easy in those periods when we're running around mindlessly, like we all are, to just be carrying around all of our devices or whatever is the path of least resistance and have them all on, even if that does not necessarily help promote the most mindfulness in us during that time. The other thing is, as we accumulate more devices, particularly mobile ones like wearables that are just so easy to keep on or around us all the time, they do provide more opportunity to just be interrupting and distracting us constantly from multiple sources. It does, I think, call for taking some more conscious thought and time to configure those devices so that they work the way that is most productive for us and most conducive to us being mindful. Talked here many times before about do not disturb features, to call different things on different devices, but all of our computers and mobile devices now give us the ability to control when, where, and how those devices notify us of things, of incoming messages, of calendar appointments. And so I would suggest thinking about if you have multiple devices and you don't want you know, all four of them beeping at you at the same time about the same upcoming calendar appointment, to configure them mindfully. You might decide, I really want my smartphone to be the device that's my main notification device that lets me know when an appointment's coming up or when a message is coming in. If you do that, you can then set up your do not disturb to block notifications on all of your other devices. May take a little bit of tweaking of the settings one time, but once you've done it, you can uh, then find that you're less distracted because only one device is notifying you of things. And which device you want that to be and exactly how you want to set things up is going to vary depending on your situation and your preferences. But it does take some mindfulness to think about doing it, to actually act on it, and then to revisit what those settings are periodically, whether that's once an hour, once a day, once a month, once a year does require returning to your intention and resetting or reconfiguring the settings for notifications in a way that we didn't need to do when we only had one device and when that device was, let's say, sitting at a desk and not following us around on our wrist. So I hope these suggestions for how to bring some mindfulness to wearable devices and to the world that we live in now of having multiple mobile devices more generally is helpful to you.
Hi, Liza, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having me. It's really great to have you. And I wanted to start out by asking you a little bit about your own background and how you came to the topic of mindfulness and technology. I know you have an interesting, eclectic background in both <laughs> fashion and technology, including wearable technology, design and use. And could you tell us a little bit about that background and how it brought you to where you are now with mindfulness and technology? I do. Yeah. Eclectic. I like that way of, of describing it. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I first worked in fashion. My first business was a clothing boutique and I worked in fashion for about a decade, um, owning that store, working as a, a buyer and a retail manager, um, doing photo styling and fashion show production and all kinds of fashion things. And technology kind of fell into my lap after about a decade of working in fashion. I was becoming very disenfranchised. I was really feeling the cycle of fashion just kind of going around and around again and um, was finding it hard to get excited in the way that I used to. And and so I was offered uh, just kind of a part-time job working for a company that is still around that uh, about this is about oh gosh 10 or 12 years ago now that was focusing on open source a specific kind of open source called Drupal and I I started working for them and within a couple of months I had actually uh, gone on dropped everything I was doing in fashion gone on to work full-time for that company and ended up becoming managing partner of that company which is still around and doing really well and uh and kind of went all in on technology and uh, really from the business end. And so my first public speaking that I did was actually at uh, DrupalCon's open source technology conferences where I was talking about the uh, principles of open source and the tenets of open source and how they applied to business and really became part of the world of technology uh, for a long time. And after doing that for a while, I, I started to kind of see how what I was learning in technology could really help uh, the world of fashion. And so I spent a couple of years kind of making um, observations and lists and spreadsheets and, and looking at what was going on in fashion and how tech could help and was one of the very first people that started using this phrase fashion tech, which is now kind of considered its own industry. And so I sold my shares in that tech company and launched a company called Third Wave Fashion uh, about six or seven years ago. And we really functioned as a fashion tech think tank and helped a lot of top fashion brands uh, we worked with Vogue magazine and with Bloomingdale's and Zappos uh, and a lot of uh, top tech companies as well. So Microsoft and Vodafone and um, Amazon, variety of companies kind of helped them figure out how to work together. And that eventually became a, a heavy focus on wearable tech. And so uh, the more I was working on wearables, the more I was really, uh, in my own personal life, focusing more on meditation. I've been a, a student of Shambhala Buddhism for about eight years, uh, but uh, I was really starting to see how these uh, values that I had personally were really different than the kind of unstated values of the technologies that I was working on and advising people on and really seeing how these technologies that we're starting to wear on our bodies or sometimes, you know, like in the case of a smart pill, like 
put them in our bodies. Uh, we were not really thinking all that stuff through. And so I, uh, about a year ago, started the process of closing down the fashion tech company and um, kind of dreaming up a new business called Mindful Technology, which is going to be launching this winter, that will help uh, consumers figure out how to be more connected with each other instead of with devices and specifically working with technologists to help them make decisions about the technology that we're building to help us kind of be good humans again. It's really amazing. I don't hear a lot from people about working with technologists to actually change the design of technology. I mean, for a long time, uh, I wasn't hearing much about people even talking about changing how they use technology. Yeah. <laughs> That's certainly changed in recent years. There's a lot more attention to how can we use or not use technology, uh, but not very much about actually redesigning it. Can you tell us a little bit about, maybe even to start with, why you feel that's so important? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. One of the things that I've noticed, Robert, is I, I don't know about you, but I, almost everyone I know hates how much they're on their phone. They're, you know, I'm constantly, it's like, oh, hey, I'm sorry, I have to be on my phone because the boss or the babysitter, you know, or whatever, or, you know, people are constantly apologizing, but also feel like they can't, um, you know, put their phones down or they can't stop checking their email or, or whatever it is. We all have that feeling. And then we all also seem to have this feeling of feeling bad about it. Uh, and, and almost thinking that it's a personal, personal failure or a character flaw or our own kind of inability to deal uh, with what's in front of us. Uh, and it's just not true because technology is designed by very smart people uh, to be, if not addictive, at least very sticky. There's this word um, engagement that's uh, used as a measurement of success. It's one of the most important metrics for a lot of people that are building technology. How many times can we get users to open our app or how long can we get them to keep clicking around our website or whatever that is? And well, for a long time, when we were living in this kind of advertising-based economy, it, it might have made some sense for that to be the goal, but that's not the world we live in anymore. And it's also, it really goes against the kind of lives that a lot of people want to live. And, and so there's a lot of people that I'm finding that are building technology, designing technology, that have this feeling in their personal life of, I don't want my life to be like that. So I don't really want to be building technology that's making it harder for other people to have the lives that they want either. And, and so I, I do think that there's some people that are intentionally making bad choices. Uh, but the vast majority of the designers and developers and technologists that I know are good people that are kind of stuck in stuck in a rut and in an old system and are ready to make changes in the way that they're building products. It's interesting. It sounds like you're saying that you have this insight and motivation to work on redesigning technology to be more aligned with let's call us end users, our own sure. goals, our own goals. But that it, it sounds like you're saying you're finding that desire amongst technology designers as well. There's some growth in that motivation to work with you in that way. Yes, without a doubt. I, I gave a talk uh, earlier this year at an uh, interaction conference here in New York City where I live to an audience of um, about a thousand people. And it was the first time that I spoke about mindful technology. And I was really nervous because uh, for some people, this idea of mindfulness is uh, – 
still kind of out there and it's maybe a little bit new agey, uh, even though, uh, you know, as you know, there's a lot of it is very science based. Uh, There's been a lot of research done about the the results of mindfulness and meditation. Uh, But I was nervous to get in front of a crowd of technologists and and say like, oh, you know, let's be a little bit more. um, Let's use our thoughts and feelings and values a little bit more. Uh, But it was so well received. It everyone was like, yes, I I love technology. I want technology to be in my life, but I want to, I want to build technology that helps make the world a better place. I want to help build a world that I want to live in and, and not this kind of um, crazy direction that we've been going in so far. I see a, a real, um, it, a backlash in the best way among people who are building technology, wanting to make really good choices. Yeah, that's great. I, I wonder sometimes if it's partially a function of the fact that we've all been living with these technologies so long now that it's hard for people who are designing them to avoid the acknowledgement of the impact they're having on people's lives, particularly if they've had children. It's been going on long enough now. Uh, iPhone is 10 years old. The web is 25 years old almost. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And even the the term web 2.0 was coined um, by a woman named named Darcy Danucci back in 1999. So it's like almost 20 years old. But yeah, and we're seeing that. And then I, I think you're absolutely right for anyone that has kids. And then also, anyone that kind of just looks up from their phone. <laughs> we see these pictures of like um, the most recent Pope um, when, when they had uh, there at the Vatican, they were having the announcement of it. Uh, there's pictures of the crowd versus the announcement of the previous Pope. Mm. And uh, during um, not this most recent Pope, but the one before that, it, everyone was just like looking. And then in the most recent picture, everyone is like looking through their phones. Mm. I mean, like no one's actually seeing stuff. And so I think anyone that is interested in any way of um, mindfulness or of connectivity between humans, when you look up and you see, I mean, it really can. I know you see this too. It's like zombies. <laughs> I live in New York, so I see it on the train. But then, you know, I leave the city and I'm driving and it's like everyone around me is texting on their phones. Like, I don't want to live in this world. <laughs> I've seen uh, police officers guarding <laughs> construction sites here in Massachusetts on their phones. Oh I just God. passed one by with earbuds in. Uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I shouldn't shouldn't laugh because it's scary, but uh, but it's so prevalent. It, I mean, it's just totally accepted. I see the same thing in the checkout lanes of my local grocery store. Um, the the young people that work in the checkout lanes are on their phone while they're checking you out. You know, they're not talking on the phone because teenagers don't do that. But you know, they're texting and Snapchatting and stuff, kind of in between beep, beep of the checkout scanner. You know, it's like, hello, I'm a person, (laughs) which we're all guilty of. We are. We are. I'm curious if if you're in a position to share anything, even perhaps about themes in technology redevelopment that you might be working on. I, I think I do live in both worlds as well amongst technology developers, and I'm an end user amongst end users. And I, I often find that people who are users only can't even imagine how things might be designed differently. Can you give people some ideas of maybe the kinds of things you're you're yeah, talking about or envisioning? Yeah. I would love to. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll give you some examples of some things that already exist out there, because I think that could be more interesting than kind of mm-hmm. talking about ideas. Um, 
one of the things that I'm a really big fan of, and this comes from my experience working in wearable tech, are these uh, the specific category of wearables that we call notifications wearables. Uh, and of those, my favorite is uh, a piece of jewelry called Ringly. It started out as a ring. It's also a bracelet now. But it's a beautiful piece of uh, semi-precious jewelry, and it has a tiny uh, vibrating motor inside, and it has a light on the side. Uh, it looks like a beautiful piece of jewelry. Uh, in fact, I have one, and I wear it even when it's not charged, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a really good uh indicator that it's a, you know, it's something beautiful. But what happens is that using um, the app, you can program the piece of jewelry to uh, vibrate and light up very subtly in one of four colors, depending on which notifications you want to have come through to you. So if it's really important to you to know if the boss is calling or if your lift has shown up or if someone tweeted or um, hopefully probably, you know, more interesting, compelling notifications, but it's up to you, the user, you can decide what do you want to have come through. And so what happens is that you can keep your phone in your pocket or in your bag. So if you're having dinner or coffee with someone, you don't have to keep checking to make sure that you're not missing something. You can trust that this piece of jewelry will actually let you know if there is a notification that's important to you. So that to me is a great example of using technology for mindfulness because it helps humans to be uh, more present in the moments that they're in and to be more connected to the people that they're with. And they can kind of trust that they'll be alerted if something actually important uh, is taking place. And that's an example of the technology working for us as opposed to the other way around. It reminds me, I remember when the Apple Watch was first announced and released that was the pitch that it was supposed to perform that function for people. Let them keep their phone away, only let them know about what they really needed to know about. And my sense was that it didn't really work that way. <laughs> Not for me. Do, do, do you wear one or did you wear one, Robert? No, but I looked into it. I, I never seriously thought about getting one, but I remember thinking it just, just, wasn't designed particularly well. I don't know if that's your take on it or if the, the devil's really in the details on these kinds of things. Well, I both agree with that take and, and think the devil is in the details. <laughs> I, I, I think it really hasn't lived up to its hype and its promises. And in fact, um, it does such a poor job of holding a charge that I'm reminded of and, um, I'm kind of placing myself at a certain age, but I remember these little things called Tamagotchis. Do you remember these? Oh, yeah, I remember them. They're big in Japan, but a little bit over here, too. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the first kind of like pocket electronic toys, I think. But it was uh, it was a little pet, and you would have to water it and feed it and give it attention. Um, and then if you didn't, it would be like chirp, 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 chirp. <laughs> and I'm just left with this feeling that the Apple Watch and so many other quote-unquote smart watches are like those little Tamagotchis where they're like, Hey, Hey, pay attention to me. Look at me, water me, feed me, you know? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't have any extra energy to like care for an electronic, <laughs> like let alone, you know, find the time to keep it charged and let it know that I'm okay. And, you know, get rid of every notification or whatever. I actually, I was at this one of these huge uh, meditation events here in New York City put on by this group called The Big Quiet. They do these enormous like 1,000, 2,000 people events. And it was uh, in this gorgeous venue up um, in uh, – 
Harlem at called the uh, United Palace Theater. And they had asked everyone, okay, please silence your electronics. And so I, I kind of like put my, you know, turn, well, couldn't turn my phone off. It's so hard to even turn phones off now, you know, like put it into airplane mode, t- put my watch into airplane mode. And um, right at the second that the entire theater gets really um, quiet and silent, my watch starts beeping and says, it's time to take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ah! You know, like, oh, you're not smart enough. You know? <laughs> like me and a thousand other people are trying to take a deep breath right now. And you just interrupted us, which I felt like was so such a, you know, in a nutshell, what that experience was like for me. I remember this has got to be a couple of years ago already hearing people uh, in this community calling those things nag apps because they nagged you so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. I agree with that. <laughs> like who wants that, right? Who wants it? The intention is good to help you, but right in the end, uh, it becomes more annoying than than it's worth. Now, I have to imagine that your long background in fashion informs how you think about design of these kinds of technologies. You, you mentioned going between both worlds. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you think that has influenced you. Yeah, that's a great question. And I bet it has influenced me in ways that I'm not even aware of. But but one of the things that I've been harping on for many years is that in order for uh, wearable tech to work or really IoT, the technology has to disappear into the form factor. Nobody, almost nobody right now wants technology for the sake of it. You know, there's definitely some early adopters that are interested in having the connected this and the electronic that and digital whatever. Uh, But for the vast majority of us, we want something that has, that adds real true functionality to our lives. Uh, That is, uh, the barrier for entry is really low. A lot of these uh, kind of new technologies require a lot from us, either from a learning curve or getting them set up or keeping them charged. And so we want to have um, have it be really low barrier for entry. And we want it to have a really high payoff. And these things are true of, uh, of physical products the same way that they're true of uh, virtual or digital products. Uh, I think the problem is that a lot of people who are building and designing these things kind of have this idea uh especially when it comes to novelty things. It's like, oh, we can connect something. And so we should do that. Or which is so, from my point of view, the wrong way to be thinking about it. And and a mistake that a lot of people make just because we can, you know, we do. Uh, my husband, Josh Clark, who runs an agency called Big Medium, uh, he talks and thinks a lot about this stuff. And uh, he often says that we don't have a problem of technology. We have a problem of imagination because <laughs> <laughs> we have, you know, we can do a million things, but we're not being as smart as we possibly can be about what we actually should do and what the world needs. Yeah, I mean, I, I can say from my engineering background, the way I was educated and the whole culture was all about feature design. Yeah. <laughs> that was the that was the goal. You design a good feature that does something useful and there was no at least at that time real focus on what you said invisibility you know, ease of use, <laughs> really. Yeah, no yeah. And and unfortunately, I think there's some people that are still in that mindset. And and the last thing I'd like to mention is just this idea of it kind of disappearing into the form factor. I And 
I think that it's also important as we're designing um, connected products that they always default to working. Um, one of the prime examples is that an escalator, when it stops working as an escalator, still works as stairs, you know. And and so if I have a smart light switch, my hand on the light switch should always override whatever kind of programming or like fancy features have in that. And so I think that's something else to keep in mind with wearables. It's also, you know, does when this isn't charged or if my software, you know, stops getting updated, is it still a beautiful piece of jewelry or clothing that I would continue to wear? I think that's becoming increasingly important. Yeah, that's amazing. It's certainly been lacking in, uh, in technology design. When you mention it becoming invisible, it makes me think of, uh, there was someone named uh, Mark Weiser or Weisert at Xerox Park. And he had said, um, something like a good tool disappears. When you, for example, when you put on glasses, you see the world, not the glasses. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, what a great example of um, a lot of people say that glasses were the first wearable technology. <laughs> um, and I think that's a great example. Yeah, because it's servicing us, not the other way around. We don't have to like take care of our glasses. We maybe have to, you know, desmudge them every once in a while, but they just continue to add value to our life day after day. I wonder if you have any other examples. I, I know I watched one of your talks, which I'd recommend other people to to watch on Vimeo, and you talked about tech neck. You know, one example would <laughs> be just the, the bending down towards the phone. I mean, it's a great example of just how present the, that device or technology is in our view. It's definitely not invisible when we normally use it. Yeah. Stand it, you know. And I have a regular massage therapist I've been seeing for many years, and she recently told me that she's going back to her original school, and she is taking this special class that they're calling Technic, where you could get a little certification for people that literally like cannot put their phones down. And <laughs> so, you know, we're spreading the love. Maybe she'll make a little extra money because we can't stop looking at our phones. But I mean, it really is pervasive. Those kinds of. Uh, things that our bodies are actually changing. Like we, our brains are changing the way that our neurons are firing, you know, are changing. And I think that, you know, we're smart enough to know that there's shifts that are happening, but at the same time, you know, someone might've posted something on Instagram, so we should probably go look at it. <laughs> <laughs> and I speak for myself just as much as everyone else. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if you have any, um, any other examples you could share with people. I saw in your talk, as well, you gave your nine mindful tech values like design for human connection, awaken the senses, create utility or joy. I wonder if you have any any other examples you could share with people of how uh, those kinds of values are embodied in either existing technology or things that are coming up. Yeah. Well, one of the, the values that, uh, and, and thank you for mentioning those, one of the values that I feel like is most important for building mindful technology is this idea of narrowing the digital divide. Because we're divided so much right now in this world, you know, unfortunately, into, you know, however you want to phrase it, the haves and the have nots, or, um, and, and we're seeing a lot of people, um, in Silicon Valley specifically, but in other places as well, that are building technologies that make our already easy lives easier. So there's technologies for like getting your laundry done faster, having your groceries delivered. Um, uh, a lot of these things that are kind of 
taking care of ourselves and are just kind of shaving a little bit of time off of things for us. And those might make, you know, our life slightly smoother, but they're not really making the world a better place. And so what I find really interesting is when we can find technologies that can both make our lives easier and to narrow the digital divide. So one of the examples of that that I love to use are these phone charging fabrics that are um, hopefully a number of them should be on the market soon. Uh, so imagine, for instance, if you put your phone into your back pocket, then the fabric is actually able to charge your phone, which is awesome. And we all want that. But it's also awesome because there's a lot of people who are living in developing parts of the world who don't have access to reliable electricity infrastructure. And, you know, a lot of those countries skipped the desktop re revolution and are mobile first or mobile only. And so they could really use the help staying connected. So that's an example for me of uh, being smart about designing a technology that is helpful for uh, people in the developed world, but are, is also really helpful for people in the developing world as well. It's amazing. And it sounds to me like it is or could be something that's pretty invisible, easy to use, uh, not obtrusive. And yeah. therefore, you know, satisfy some of the other values too. Yeah, and inexpensive. Yeah, um, some of the cost estimates for those types of fabrics are are roughly it would add the cost to about a dollar of to each garment. So yeah, hopefully that kind of stuff will be out there soon. Another example that I really like, there's a company out there called Ciempo, which is, uh, it's a software company and they are just releasing some uh, betas of their products right now. But it is actually, uh, it's a software that helps you to set your intentions when you're using your phone. And so when you pick up your phone, uh, you actually have to say, tell your phone, what am I intending to do right now? Which gives the user this extra moment of pause to actually step back and look at what am I intending to do? Because so many of us, myself included, find ourselves on our phone. We don't remember picking it up. We don't know why we picked it up, but all of a sudden we're on there. We're reading the New York Times or, you know, <laughs> or doing checking our email, refreshing it over and over again or whatever it is. Uh, and so this is a layer of software that actually adds puts that layer of intention in there. And it's not forcing anyone to have a specific intention, you know, when they get on their phone, but it is actually kind of asking those questions and, and giving us that moment to, to really think about it. And that's, a, that's really a great suggestion. I wonder if you could uh, tell us a little bit more about um, mindful technology, which I know you said is your new organization that's going to be launching in the winter. It's a big move for you. You uh, left your previous company to work on this. I wonder what got you so motivated and what the mission is uh, and what kind of work you're going to be doing in this yeah, thanks for asking. So when I started my last business, uh, Third Wave Fashion, I started it because I felt like I was one of the people best positioned in the world to uh, help develop fashion tech because I was one of the only people that has really worked in technology and really worked in fashion. And so I felt this uh, kind of um, push towards it. Like, oh, here's something that I can see that is happening. This fashion tech world is, is about to explode. And I feel like I'm in a really good position to help people um, with the knowledge that I have. 
what's different about building mindful technology is that instead of feeling pushed towards it, I feel so pulled because I'm so motivated right now by the, by the, humanness by the humanity uh, that we're losing and that we want to hang on to. And so I mentioned I've been a student of Shambhala Buddhism for about eight years. I recently also uh, got my um, certification as a meditation teacher through Mindful Studios here in New York City. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I'm deepening my practice in that way as well. And I was really noticing that um, I was spending a lot of time trying to be like present and in the moment and more mindful and then helping to build these technologies that were like completely the opposite. <laughs> uh, and so I'm really feeling like, oh, I can see there's good technology, there's good people, and oh my goodness, we are at a time right now when the, the, the decisions that we're making about the technology that we're building is going to affect us for the entirety of the future. It is so important right now that we be making decisions about technology and tech companies that are serving our core humanness. And so I feel like I have to jump in right now. I have to continue the conversation and have to really push this message forward what that looks like, we're still figuring out. So we're moving in the direction of um, whatever seems to be opening up in front of us. So we have our first uh, mindful tech meetup is happening in New York City on November 30th. Uh, we're going to continue to do those. We're getting to, we're doing a panel, uh, getting together people that are interested in mindfulness and technology, uh, just to spark conversations uh, and get some and networks building. We're looking at doing private dinners for entrepreneurs in the mindful technology space to connect, and we're building out workshops for technologists to help them actually look at those mindful tech values that you mentioned earlier and look at how they. Can can be building those directly into the products that they're building along the way. In the last year, I've spoken to personally and heard more and more about what I would call uh, high-tech defectors, <laughs> people who yeah. have left the high-tech world because of a real conflict of values. I think for a long time, people in the high-tech world thought, you know, if I help grow a company and get more eyeballs, so to speak, and get more users, that's a, that's enough of a value for me. Uh, <laughs> right. And, or maybe if I get rich, that would be great for me. If I get rich, me. right. <laughs> uh, and this, I wouldn't say the culture as a whole in the high-tech world has shifted, but there's at least a subculture that seems to be developing slowly. I see that so much. And I think that for now, at least, I'm prepared to stay and fight because I do not believe that technology should um, be completely controlled by the Travis Kalanicks of the world. You know, these are tools. We've all had a part in building them, and we should all have a part in determining the values that are going to be put behind them. It seems, you know, there's so many uh, uh, crises, so to speak, that have surfaced. The fake news one being really significant that I think has cause some soul searching in Silicon Valley and elsewhere in the in the high tech world. I don't know if either in your own personal experience or other people you're working with if if there's, you know, particular kinds of events or experiences in particular that have caused people to say I really need to rethink what my role is as a technology developer. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, there are definitely some examples of, of people who from the outside seem like they might be evil geniuses, but there are so many more people that really do 
want to to build the world that we want to live in. And and there's some clear answers of, of ways that we can do that. I, I mentioned my husband, Josh Clark, and his company, Big Medium. On his site, he has an article called Systems Smart Enough to Know When They're Not Smart Enough. <laughs> and it it is such a great article and, and well worth reading the whole thing because it actually talks about his audience's uh, designers, um, specifically UI UX designers, uh, but he gives some very specific examples of ways that we can be building interfaces to actually help the consumer and the end user to understand when they're getting news that's credible or when they're getting news that's maybe not credible. Um, you know, we have we're moving in this direction of these kind of one true answer machines, as he called it. So the you know Alexa or you know. Siri, whatever, all those who generally, when you ask a question, they give you one answer. But there is, there are very few, you know, questions that we're asking that actually only have one answer. And a lot of topics that are really controversial are being gamed by the algorithms right now, or rather, people are using the algorithms to game these topics. And so there are definitely ways that we can say, um, where we can give search results in a way that say like we're very sure about this or this is um this is an area that you need to be very careful in you know kind of reading the kind of answers that we're giving and also empowering um our devices to to know when they're not smart enough and to tell us I'm not the best person to answer this or you should read further and that's a really great example of a way in which you know technology could be redesigned to maybe help engage people more and um, where where people are still playing a very active role in how they interpret results instead of just, you know, assuming that the machine is right. Right. Yeah. And I think it also teaches us literacy, which is something that we all need. We all need to be able to look at a, a Google search results page and understand what we're looking at, you know, and to be able to say like, oh, this one answer at the top here is is wrong. It's the wrong answer, you know, or it's a controversial <laughs> answer. I think that's a skill that will serve us all really well. One other thing I will mention is that there's a lot of talk about digital detoxes and I myself um take them for different lengths of time and for different things. Um, sometimes I'll do a news detox or a social media detox, which really is for me just taking a break from it. I took a break from news and social media for all of August. Uh, that might be hard for some people to do a month, but for some people even just doing like a day uh, or a weekend or something like that can be helpful. And part of the reason why that's helpful is that it, it, takes our brain outside of that constantly reinforced idea of we have to be um, always on top of the news and always understanding what's going on. And so if we're able to kind of set that aside and remind ourselves that we don't have to always be a part of that cycle, that we have our own autonomy and, and we can go back in when we're ready, but we also have the choice to go back out. I think that can help us to be better consumers of technology and of news as well. I think it's a it's a great suggestion and a good way to segue into what other suggestions you have or opportunities you might suggest for people to change their own habits or get involved with mindful technology, your new organization. 
Yeah, thanks. Well, I, I welcome anyone's involvement right now. Uh, we're actually looking at different blog post series. If people are interested in being featured or writing for those, we'd love to have people reach out. Of course, join our meetup. It's just in New York City right now, but we are going to go to other cities kind of depending on who joined. Uh, the last meetup group uh, that I built for my previous uh, business got up to 2,500 people. So we're hoping to do the same with Mindful Tech and really grow a community around it. Uh, and we're always looking for different startups, different books about this thing to feature. So I'd love to have anyone reach out. If people are looking for ways to bring this into their own lives, I'm always trying different things in my own personal life. One of my personal favorite things that I'm trying right now is uh, when I'm on a really good Netflix binge or a Hulu <laughs> binge uh, to actually set a five minute timer between episodes and turn the TV off, get up and walk away just for five minutes. So I can, you know, clean or do an errand or whatever, but I, you know, it's not look at screens. It's not sit there and look at your phone for five minutes, but it's actually get up and walk away from the TV. What I'm finding is that that five minutes in between both refreshes my brain if I decide to go back to it, but it also, I'm finding that I'm not as interested in going back oftentimes mm -hmm. if I take that just like moment away from the screen. So that's a trick that I've been using. I've also really enjoyed a couple of different apps. One's called Moment and one's called Checky that are uh, on the phone that will, they just pay attention to how much either you're picking up and checking your phone or uh, which apps you're spending the most time in on your phone. Uh, and doing that for a week can be really interesting. It can really help people understand what their own technology use looks like. And then they can make decisions on their own if that's something that they feel comfortable with or if it's not something they feel comfortable with. Uh, there's a really cool company called Digital Detangler, which is a just launching a program for consumers that they can go through to actually look at their own technology and take steps to change it. So I recommend people look at that as well. And then there's also a couple of uh, really simple things that I like. Uh, one of my favorite accounts on Twitter is an account called Tiny Carebot. And I think it's so fun to follow because it actually just shows up in your uh, Twitter stream and it says things like, um, please look outside or take a moment <laughs> to check your posture. And I just love having that in there because that's a way that we can actually use technology to help us to be just a tiniest bit more mindful because in the midst of, you know, whatever someone's Twitter feed looks like, mine is, you know, oftentimes people angry about politics and promoting <laughs> their stuff. Uh, but it's cool to have just this little tiny care about in there saying like, hey, take care of yourself. And mm -hmm. so those are the kind of examples I think could be really good for uh, users to just integrate into their technology use and, and kind of hopefully start to change it in a way that makes them feel a little bit better about it. That's really great. Well, you've given us a lot to think about. And I'm glad to say to act on right now. So great. I hope so. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for the conversation, Liza. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Liza Kindred, the founder of Mindful Technology. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and share the episode with your friends. Those and all other links are in the show notes. And check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with Christopher Plowman, 
the CEO of the popular meditation app Insight Timer.